From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If you or someone you care about engages in destructive behaviors, you'll want to hear what psychologist Will Sullivan from Upstate's Center for Behavior, Development, and Genetics has to say. He's with me in the HealthLink on Air studio. Welcome, Dr. Sullivan. Thanks for having me, Amber. Let's start with the definition of destructive behaviors. Yeah, sure. So um, my area of specialty lies in the treatment of severe forms of challenging behavior that are often displayed by individuals with autism or some form of related developmental disability. So when I say destructive behavior, what I'm referring to is, you know, uh, aggression, perhaps, or property destruction, throwing items, having a tantrum, um, or maybe some more severe forms of behavior like self-injurious behavior, so like slapping their own head um, or, or banging against a wall or something along those lines. So are these behaviors that stem from or have like a developmental disability root, or, or might they be things that are, um, I don't know, more situational? Um, well, from my perspective, uh, I, I like to think of these behaviors as not necessarily um, a representation of the child's personality. So I don't see that if a child comes to see me and they're engaging in destructive behavior, I don't come at it from the perspective that this is a bad kid or they're mean or they're trying to be vindictive or hurtful in some way. Rather, I view those behaviors as learned behaviors. Um, And many of my patients might have difficulty expressing their wants and needs in an appropriate way. And so I see these destructive behaviors as communicative in some way. They're trying to tell us something, whether it be something that they want or that they need to get out of a particular situation. Um, and that's kind of how I, how I view those. So you kind of, you have the role of trying to interpret what, um, what they need exactly based on. Exactly. Interesting. So, um, it, are there genetic, is there a genetic cause to some of the destructive behaviors you see? Um, you know, perhaps there might be some genetic, Um, correlates that might make a child more or less likely to engage in those behaviors. But from my perspective, the reason that those behaviors continue to occur is not simply because of some internal reason, but because the behavior works for them in some way, right? So if a child starts to have a tantrum or engage in some aggressive behavior, there's likely a reason behind that. And as parents, caregivers, teachers, um, if we see a child that's upset, we want to try to make that behavior soft. We want to right. try to help them. But to do so, that might be maybe a caregiver tries to give them um, a, a calming toy. Or maybe a caregiver goes up and starts to try to talk to them or might reprimand them and say, no, it's not nice to hit other people. Um, or it says, well, I can see you're upset. Let's take a little break right now and we'll go for a walk. All very reasonable things to do in the moment. And oftentimes it works in the moment. The issue lies is that the child may learn, well, if I want to get my calming toy or if I want to get some attention Uh from somebody or if this situation is just too overwhelming and I need to get out of here, they might use those behaviors to get those needs met, which then leads to an increased chance of those behaviors occurring again in the future under similar situations. So as you mentioned before, like are these things situation specific? And I would say yes, most of the time that they are. Some of what you describe seems to me um, typical for any toddler. 
right? Yes, absolutely. Um, however, as a toddler might engage in some of those behaviors, over time, they start to develop more functional or appropriate communication skills. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of my patients, they might just not develop in that same manner. Not to say that it's better or worse in one way or the other, just different. Just okay. different. And if those behaviors continue to produce desirable outcomes for the individual, well, then they're going to continue to engage in them. Um, uh, oftentimes, these behaviors, we talk about them as being problem behaviors or maladaptive behaviors. Well, it's problematic and maladaptive for us, but let's put ourselves in the child's shoes. They have figured out how to get their needs met very efficiently and in an effective way, right? So if I want to get out of this situation and I lash out and start to throw a tantrum and that works for me, well, then they're adapting to their environment to get their needs met. Part of my job is to help figure out, well, what is that underlying reason why they're engaging in those behaviors? And how can I teach them a better way to communicate those same wants and needs? Because those needs are still going to be there. We just need to teach them a different way to communicate, to express that in a more appropriate way. And just telling them, we don't want you to behave that way, that's not enough, right? <laughs> I mean, not, not typically, that, that doesn't go. Um, doesn't work for them in the same way that it might work for other typically developing individuals. So how young of children are we talking about that you would work with? When, when do destructive behaviors become apparent? So I work pediatric populations, anywhere from two years old to 21 years old, really, are patients that I might see. Many of my patients fall in more of the school age range, anywhere from like seven to 12. Okay. And for many of my patients, these behaviors may have been occurring at a very young age. However, when a two-year-old becomes aggressive or tries to smack, you can pick them up, you can move them, it doesn't hurt nearly as much. However, then once that child develops and is seven, eight, ten years old, um, they're much bigger and stronger. And now all of a sudden, those behaviors become much more problematic in the natural environment. And that's when someone comes to see you. Yes. Now, it makes me wonder how parents, do you see that parents um, blame themselves in some cases for the way the child is behaving? Unfortunately, yeah. Certainly, I think that they they start to take some of the blame. Um, I want to be very clear. I don't think it's at all their fault. Um, Many of those responses, as I said before, are certainly reasonable things that any good parent would do. If your child is upset, you're going to want to go and talk to them and try to calm them down. You're going to try to meet their needs as quickly as you possibly can. And in many instances, typical parent behavior works to suppress these sorts of destructive behaviors in in many kids. But sometimes those responses, they have different effects for my population. So for example, if you're trying to help calm down a child that has typical language development and you tell them this is not nice to engage in this sort of behavior, that might resonate with them and they can then you know, not engage in those things in the future. Whereas another child, if that's the time that their parent comes and gives them attention, then they might be more likely to do that in the future. Okay. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Upstate psychologist, Dr. Will Sullivan, about taking care of people with destructive behaviors. Um, if someone with destructive behaviors is not treated, do they turn into an adult with adult-type destructive behaviors, things like um, gambling or uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, binge eating, things like that? Is there a connection? 
possibly. Ultimately, if those behaviors go untreated, they're likely to continue to occur. Now, whether or not those things turn into larger problems like drug abuse, that would ultimately depend on that individual's environment as they move through life. So if they are placed in an environment where drug abuse starts to become prevalent and goes reinforced, then perhaps. Um, I think that might be a little bit of a stretch to link those two together, but it's certainly possible. You know, the real underlying thing here is that if destructive behavior continues to work for an individual by meeting their needs, they're going they're to gonna continue keep doing it. to do it until they learn a better, more appropriate way to deal with those situations. So I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is there uh, an importance to the earlier you can take care of this, maybe the more benefit to be reaped over time. C- certainly. The longer that a destructive behavior continues to contact those sources of reinforcement, the more difficult it might be to change in the future. You know, if we got kids very, very young and start to intervene as early as possible, then we can really alter that developmental trajectory to put them on a path um, to engage in more appropriate behaviors, equip them with appropriate communication skills rather than engaging in destructive behavior. The longer that that goes untreated, um, the more likely they are to persist in those behaviors. Okay. Do you see this uh, equally in male as as in female? Um, I think in our patient population, oftentimes uh, there's probably a larger proportion of males that we see. Um, now, whether or not that's a function of destructive behavior or the underlying developmental disability. So, for example, autism is much more prevalent in boys. In boys, right. Okay. So things that are kind of attached to that. Mm-hmm. would lend, Okay. That would make sense. Now, talking about um, older adolescents, uh, are they able to recognize destructive behaviors in themselves? Do they see that they have a problem when they are asked to come and see you or, or do they recognize it? Are they self-aware? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that would depend on the child's cognitive functioning you know, their ability to engage in that sort of metacognition, thinking about their own thinking. Um, And so the extent to which someone has those capabilities, I would imagine that most of them that I've worked with are certainly aware. Um, So I know it must um, vary depending on the age um, and cognitive abilities of the patient, but how do you go about um, establishing a relationship and then working to stop or alter the destructive behavior over time. Sure. Well, uh, so I guess I'll just kind of walk through yeah. how, how I approach a case. So I have a child that comes in, let's say, for example, they're, they're aggressive. Um, I might start to try to tease apart what situations are likely to evoke those sorts of aggressive behaviors and what are the responses that are occurring in the natural environment that are likely to maintain that, those behaviors. So what I'll do is set up different situations. So to give you an example, maybe in one situation, I might ask the child to do schoolwork or to engage in some activity that they may perceive to be aversive. A situation that's been reported to me by a caregiver or a teacher that, hey, when you ask, when we try to get Johnny to do math, that tends to lead to aggression. So I might put him in that situation. If he engages in aggressive behavior, I would respond just how caregivers or teachers would in the natural environment. So if they say, you know, he becomes upset, so I might back off a little bit and say, you know, when you're ready, we'll begin again. I would replicate that same situation. Now, if I see problem behavior and destructive behavior continue to increase, 
I would compare that with a control condition, simply not asking them to do schoolwork. And so when you see differential levels of behavior under a certain circumstance and then are able to quickly shut it off by removing that situation, then that's telling me something. Maybe this child's engaging in destructive behavior to get out of schoolwork. That's just one example. I might test um, the possibility that they're using that to get attention or to get some sort of tangible item. Uh Um, And I would do that in in a bit of an experimental design to demonstrate that, yes, this is why this child is engaging in this behavior. Once I know that, okay, so again, going back to my example, I know that Johnny is becoming aggressive because he wants to get out of his schoolwork. Well, then that can tell me how I can teach him a more appropriate behavior to get that same need met. So I might teach him to say, to ask for a break. And maybe it's a vocal response. Many of my children are nonverbal. And so I might teach them how to do a manual sign language sign for a break um, or use an augmentative communication device to ask for a break. In some way, somehow, I want to replace that destructive behavior with something more appropriate that both of them meet the same functional outcome of getting a break. Then once the child's equipped with a new skill to get that same consequence met, then I can help teach them to tolerate times when they can't have what they want right now. And so I will slowly introduce schoolwork, for example. might ask them to do a little bit and a little bit more and slowly increase that expectation to to help them cope with those difficult situations. Because it might not just be math. There may be other things that happen. Certainly, certainly. Certainly. There's lots of possible reasons why these things may be happening. Um, But my approach is trying to get to that underlying reason why it's happening. So I'm not just trying to slap on, you know, okay, if you do your work, you can get an M&M. Right. That might work to an extent, but if destructive behavior still produces the desired outcome, then the child's probably going to continue to engage in that behavior. Until then, until I can teach them a different way to get that need met. So you want to come up with lasting solutions that that can continue. Absolutely. Now, this doesn't sound like it's a quick fix. It's not a one-visit fix, right? By no means. By no means. This is learning. It's learning. This is not a magic bullet. This is not a pill that's going to make the behavior go away. You know, I I can't reach inside a kid, wiggle some things around, and then they, they don't engage in aggression anymore. That's just not how this works because just as quickly as they learn to engage in destructive behavior, they can learn to engage in a more appropriate behavior. And we need to shift the focus on how can we equip them with the appropriate skills to get these needs met so they don't need to use destructive behavior. Are medications ever part of this? Yes, but that's not my area of expertise. As a psychologist, you don't prescribe. No, I do not. But do you work with um, children who have a prescriber who is... Yes. Okay. Are the parents part of this? Are they Absolutely. in the sessions with, with you? And uh, So typically when I would have a patient come in, I want to first try to figure out why that behavior is happening. Then I want to try to develop an individualized treatment for that child. And during that process, um, I don't want to expose parents to those situations where destructive behavior may continue to occur. That could be dangerous. There's lots of possible negative things that could happen. So I want to figure out what works best for that child. Then once I feel confident, like, yes, okay, here we go. I got a treatment package that I know works well for the kid. Then I have to then train the caregiver, the teacher, 
Joe off the street, whoever might be working with that individual, then I need to train them on how to um, implement those procedures. Ultimately, even if I develop a good treatment in clinic, until those treatments are actually implemented out there in the real world, that's when you're going to see change in the child's behavior that's meaningful. Oh, well, that's interesting. That's good to know. Well, thank you so much. My guest has been Upstate psychologist, Dr. Will Sullivan. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.